Hello and welcome to episode 367 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is my pleasure to be with you this morning. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Tuesday, November the 29th, 2022, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ, continuing to look at the writings of the wonderful Brazilian theologian, Professor Plinio Correa de Oliveira. This article was published in the periodical known as Catholicism, on, or excuse me, in May of 1953, and it's entitled Fatima, Explanation and Remedy for the Contemporary Crisis. Catholicism published in its last issue a summary of the revelations made by the Angel of Portugal and then by Our Lady to the Three Little Shepherds of Fatima. The month of May is conducive to this page, continuing to deal with the subject. All the more so, as all of Campos still vibrates with echoes of the triumphant welcome that its children paid to the pilgrim statue of Our Lady of Fatima. In the present study, we assume that the veracity of the apparitions of Fatima has been demonstrated. In other words, we admit that the reader recognizes as true that the angel of Portugal and after him, Our Lady, appeared to the three little shepherds and that the revelations made in the various apparitions were faithfully reproduced by them. Such a test, of course, could be done according to the methods used for the study of any historical fact of this kind. There were healings and prodigies in Fatima witnessed by thousands of people. One can therefore submit these and those to a scientific analysis to verify whether they are miraculous. On the other hand, the three little shepherds were subject to numerous interrogations, official and private, by friends and enemies. These testimonials are likely to pass through the sieve of all good methods of criticism. In this study, it would also be necessary to analyze the antecedents of the little shepherds, the life they led after the apparitions, and the pronouncements of the ecclesiastical authority. As all this matters for a complete elucidation of the subject, as interesting as such a study is, we intentionally leave it out. The vast majority of the faithful believe in the apparitions and revelations of Fatima. As our sheet is intended mainly to guide Catholic readers, it seems more useful, instead of proving what they already admit as true, to analyze some aspects of what their souls, enlightened by the faith, accept. The Great Crisis of Our Times the most striking contemporary facts are, and once again, we have to remember that the professor's writing in 1953, and how much worse is our civilization from a moral perspective in the year 2022? Number one, the universal crisis. Human society presented in the first part of this century, that is until 1914, a brilliant aspect. Progress was indisputable in all fields. Economic life had achieved unprecedented prosperity. Social life was easy and attractive. Humanity seemed to be heading towards a golden age. Some mysterious symptoms clashed with the cheerful colors of this picture. There were material and moral miseries, it is true. But few were those who measured in all its extension the importance of these facts. The vast majority expected science and progress to solve all problems. The First World War provided a terrible denial of these prospects. In every way, the difficulties incessantly worsened until 1939. The Second World War ensued, and with it we arrived at the present condition. 
in which it can be said that there is not a single nation on earth that is not grappling in almost every field with very serious crises. In other words, if we analyze the internal life of each nation, we notice it in a state of agitation, disorder, the unleashing of appetites and ambitions, the subversion of values, which, if it is no longer frank anarchy, is in any case heading towards there. And uh, just as, as a little note on my part, we're there, folks. The good professor continues, no statesman of our days has yet been able to present the remedy that cuts the pace for this morbid process of universal scale. Number two, the world wars. That of 1914 through 18 seemed an insurmountable tragedy. In reality, that of 1939 to 45 surpassed it from the point of view of duration, universality, mortality, and the ruins it caused. It left us two steps away from a new war, even worse from every point of view. Human masses have lived these last few years in terror of this prospect, aware that a third world conflict may bring about the end of our civilization. The relevance of the revelations of Fatima. The essential element of the message from the angel of Portugal and Our Lady consists, as we shall see, of opening men's eyes to the seriousness of these facts, of teaching them their explanation in the light of the plans of divine providence, and of indicating the necessary means to avoid catastrophe. It is the very history of our time, and more than that, its future, which is taught to us by Our Lady. The Western Roman Empire ended with a catastrophe illuminated and analyzed by the genius of a great doctor, who was St. Augustine. The end of the Middle Ages was predicted by a great prophet, St. Vincent Ferrer. The French Revolution, which marks the end of modern times, was predicted by another great prophet, who was at the, the same time a great doctor, St. Louis Maria Grignon de Montfort. We seem to be on the verge of ending with a new crisis, but we have a greater privilege. Our Lady came to speak to men. St. Augustine could not but explain to posterity the causes of the tragedy he was witnessing. St. Vincent Ferrer and St. Louis Grignon de Montfort tried in vain to divert the storm. Men would not listen to them. Our Lady, at the same time, explains the reasons for the crisis and indicates her remedy by prophesying the catastrophe in case men do not hear her. From every point of view, due to the nature of the content, as well as the dignity of those who made them, the revelations of Fatima surpass everything that providence has said to men in the imminence of the great squalls of history. The different points of the revelations concerning this theme constitute the essential element of the messages. The rest, as important as it may be, is a mere compliment. Let me once again add to this. Because the Blessed Mother is the most loving of mothers, the most kind and compassionate of mothers, the best mother there could possibly be, the Lord's masterpiece, she's warning us. It's akin to a small child putting his hand near the stove. Obviously, you're going to whack the child's hand away. That's really what the Blessed Mother's doing at Fatima. She's giving a warning. In other words, it, saying if you keep going down this road of immorality, it's going to lead to catastrophe. And she shows us what the answer is. It's not a what, it's a who. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. We must repent and believe in the gospel. We must make reparation for sins. 
That's what Our Lady is telling us at Fatima. It's a divine warning. The professor continues, the assumption, terrible religious and moral crisis. There is not a single apparition in which one fact is not insisted upon. The sins of humanity have become an unbearable weight on the scales of divine justice. This is the hidden cause of all contemporary miseries and disorders. Sins invite the righteous wrath of God. The most terrible punishments therefore threaten humanity. So that they do not happen, it is necessary that men convert. And for them to convert, it is necessary for the good to pray ardently for sinners and offer to God all sorts of atoning sacrifices. Pray and atone for sinners is the next section. In his messages, the angel of Portugal teaches the little shepherds to ask forgiveness for the bad ones and more to offer sacrifices for them. He especially mentions the need to make amends to the blessed sacrament for the insults it receives, not only from those who profane it, but from those who receive it with indifference. And if I can pause again here, think of how many sacrilegious communions are made. Several years ago, when a visiting priest from Croatia was at a parish I was attending, during his homily, he said, this must be a church filled with saints. And we're kind of wondering, you know, what's the, the punchline here, so to speak? Where's he going with this? He said, everyone comes up for Holy Communion, but I hardly see anyone in confession on Saturday afternoon. And he was absolutely right. Do we think we're all saints? Do we think we're all up for our canonization? To receive the Blessed Sacrament unworthily is the sin of sacrilege. And when we look at the world, and all the vile things that are taking place. And you go to Mass on Sunday and basically everyone comes up for Holy Communion. You tend to wonder if that's taking place. So we have to make use of the Sacrament of Confession. We must not ever receive Holy Communion if we believe we're in a state of mortal sin. That's gravely offensive to the Lord. Professor Plinio continues by saying, in her first apparition, Our Lady asked the little shepherds to accept the hard mission of atoning for sinners and predicts that they will have a lot to suffer. In the second apparition, he urges them to pray and sacrifice to reduce the large number of souls that are being lost. For this purpose, teach them an ejaculation. It also shows her immaculate heart crowned with thorns as a result of the sins that are committed today. In the third apparition, he makes them see hell with the unspeakable torments. Excuse me, it should be she. Um, the translation here is saying he instead of she. In the third apparition, she makes them see hell with the unspeakable torments to which those were thrown there by the justice of God or subject. And she insists on the need to atone for sins. In the fourth vision, Our Lady teaches another reparative prayer and affirms that many are the souls that are lost because there is no one to repair them. In the fifth apparition, Our Lady moderates some of the excesses of the little shepherds in their ardor of reparation, but insists on the need to sacrifice themselves for sinners. It affirms the need for men to convert from their sins, ceasing to challenge the justice of God so that the world is not punished. Finally, in Tui, appearing to Sister Lucia, Our Lady speaks precisely in the same sense. We see then that the constant thought of all the messages is this. 
The world is grappling with a terrible religious and moral crisis. The sins committed are countless, and they are the true cause of universal desolation. The best way to remedy its effects is through prayer and reparation. The next section says, The Messages of Fatima and the Voice of the Popes. The language of the popes has not been different. Pius XI, for example, in the encyclical Miserentissimus Redemptor of May 8, 1928, stated that the spectacle of contemporary misfortunes is so distressing that one could see it in the dawn of this beginning of pains, which will bring the man of sin rising up against all that is called God and receives the honor of a cult. And he adds, one cannot really help thinking that the times foretold by our Lord are at hand. And because of the increasing progress of iniquity, the charity of a great number of men will grow cold. And more recently, the Holy Father Pius XII, gloriously reigning, affirmed that the work of demolition of Christian civilization, after having brought its negative action to its peak, is already building in this world an anti-Christian city. The author of this work became more and more concrete with an absence of scruples that still surprises. Christ, yes. The church, no. Then God, yes. Christ, no. Finally, the impious cry, God is dead, and even God never existed. And here now is the attempt to build the structure of the world on foundations that we do not hesitate to indicate as the main factors responsible for the threat that weighs on humanity. An economy without God, law without God, politics without God, has strived and strives for Christ to become a stranger in universities and schools and the family, in the administration of justice, in legislative activity, in the assemblies of nations, wherever peace or war is decided. It corrupts the world with a press and with, and with shows that kill modesty in young men and women and destroy love between spouses. He inculcates a nationalism that leads to war. That was an allocution to the men of the AC Italiana, December 10th, 1952, by Pius XII. How correct was Pius XII? To reiterate that passage, an economy without God, law without God, politics without God, Christ becoming a stranger in universities and schools and the family. And not just in the secular realm, but within the church itself. When's the last time you heard a bishop or a priest preach about the four last things, death, judgment, heaven and hell, or the fact that the social kingship of Christ must reign in every nation, especially in the political realm. But if you want to have godly politicians, you have to have personal holiness first and holy families. Just like if you want to have holy priests, well, holy priests come from holy families. You don't have holy families, you're not going to have holy priests or politicians or any other sphere of life. The next section is false optimism and the messages of Fatima. These words of wise realism contrast, as we know, with a tendency not very rare among Catholics, out of a spirit of accommodation, out of opportunism, out of a puerile desire to agree in everything with this century in order to lead it down extremely problematic paths to a chimerical conversion. They think, act, feel in this world of crisis and collapse as if they were in the 13th with St. Louis reigning in France, St. Ferdinand in Castile, St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Bonaventure illuminating the church with the splendor of their science and virtues. 
when nowadays only young men and women can be found who have not become aware of the evident gravity of the crisis we are going through. These Catholics of ours, often 40 years old or more, frantically enter, enter the farandola of the carefree and sing praises and hymns to a situation that causes others to moan in anguish and even scream in pain. And if there are those who want to open their eyes, they get angry, tolerant towards everything and everyone. They cannot bear to show the seriousness of the situation we are in. Will the world of Our Lady, the world of the Pope, be enough to convince them? It doesn't seem likely, but at least they can immunize against this wave of wild optimism, those who might be inclined to join them. There's that word again, tolerance. Well, the late great Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen talked about being tolerance toward people, but not tolerant for sin. It seems nowadays those in the church tolerate every form of sin. It's anything goes. And it's a religion based on feelings, not upon objective moral truth. Well, that's a recipe for disaster, and it has been. The next section is the message of Fatima and short-sighted Catholics. Along this feverish optimism, alongside this feverish optimism, which would like to turn the apostolate into a perpetual little party for teenagers, an eternal picnic, which hates in its very piety everything that can evoke the idea of pain, the crucifixes on which the divine victim appears with his wounds, shedding the redeeming blood, the black vestments for masses for the dead, etc. We also have another defect to consider. It's the abulia. There's a false piety which diverts men from the consideration of all great problems. Does Christian civilization dissolve? Does the world collapse? Does the earth convulse? The man intoxicated by this form of piety sees nothing, feels nothing, perceives nothing. His life is just his little life and the correct and peaceful fulfillment of his small individual duties, his small acts of piety in the exclusive solution of his small cases of conscience. His zeal goes no farther than his horizons and these, it pains me to say, go just beyond the tip of his nose. If you talk to him about politics, sociology, the philosophy and theology of history, apologetics, he turns away with a certain fear, the fear that termites have in sunlight. For him too, Fatima contains a great lesson. Our Lady descended to earth to attract the zeal of souls to this immense panorama. She wants pity. She wants reparation. But she bases her desire on an immense view of God's great interests in all the vastness of the earth. It is not a question within the limitless perspectives of Fatima, of saving just this or that individual soul. It's about seeing higher and further. It is for the salvation of all mankind that one must fight. For it is not just this or that man, but legions of souls that threaten to be lost in one of the most serious crises in history. And it is for this immense task that Our Lady asks, not for a Cyrenian, but many, very many of them, entire phalanxes. In Fatima, there's not just an appeal for the three little shepherds to do penance. This appeal is addressed to the whole world. It is all contemporary piety that must have, so to speak, a strong restorative and expiatory coloring. In other words, the professor is saying, holiness is for everyone. 
we think locally, we act locally, but in our mind, we also have to have the global perspective, the worldly perspective. Worldly, not in a secular sense, but what you're doing in your own life, what you're doing in your own family has an impact on society at large. And this concerns the eternal salvation ultimately of every soul. We either build up the body of Christ when we do virtuous things or we wound the body of Christ when we commit sins. Everything we say, think, or do has an impact ultimately on the whole world, whether we realize that or not. This next section is the messages of Fatima and the quote, heresy of works. Let us note yet another point. No one can doubt the importance of the works of the apostolate. The popes call the faithful to them daily. However, in its extreme conciseness, Fatima tells us nothing in particular about this because providence does not deem them necessary, urgent. Who could admit such an aberration? So why Fatima's silence? We live in a time dominated by the senses in which men easily recognize the need to act since action is something that the senses perceive whose effectiveness is often susceptible to being evaluated by figures, statistics, tangible results. And for this reason, it is not so difficult to attract the attention of truly zealous souls to the importance of action. But it is and remains very difficult to attract them to what is spiritual, inner, invisible. And for this prayer, the inner life, man understands them more difficult, devotes less time and less interest to them. It is quite understandable that at Fatima, Our Lady insisted on the need for prayer and penance to the point of making this an essential element of her message. What a wonderful benefit, Monsignor Chotard, author of the famous work, The Soul of Every Apostolate, would have taken advantage of if in his time the whole subject of Fatima has been as clarified as it is today. And the final section here, it is not enough to pray. It is necessary to atone. Finally, an essential point. Our Lady does not speak only of prayer. She wants atonement, sacrifice. Is there ever a time when more people have fled from pain? Is there ever a time when less has been said about the need for mortification? Is there ever a time when people were less aware of the importance of sacrifice? For it is to this point that Our Lady especially draws our attention. And I'm going to interject one last time here. Amen, Professor Plinio. Now I point the finger at myself here. We are a people, no matter where we're living in the world, that desires comfort, that avoids pain, that wants to take a, a pill or a shot for every sort of problem, that is, people are collapsing with anxiety or depression. I realize some people have mental health issues and they can't control that, but the source of so much anxiety and depression is personal sin, is a refusal to repent and believe in the gospel because ultimately sin will make us miserable. Whatever pleasure we get from sin is very fleeting. Only Jesus can be our true joy. Only he presents us with everlasting happiness because we're created for him. The whole universe is created for him. The blueprint of the universe is Jesus with his church. 
and if, if we're pursuing good and avoiding evil, we will ultimately be happy in heaven forever. But if we say no to Jesus and yes to our own sinful inclinations, then we have chosen to separate ourselves from him. And if you die in a state of unrepentant mortal sin, you will go to hell for all eternity. So repent and believe in the gospel, my friends. Get to confession and pray that rosary every single day. Professor concludes by saying, in the great centuries of piety, the atonement was a frequent fact in the lives of men and of the peoples. Huge pilgrimages were made to atone for sins. In the caves, in the forests, in the cloisters, there were true legions of souls devoted to the life of atonement. In wills, entire fortunes were left for pious or charitable works in remission of sins. There were confraternities specially designed to encourage penance. There were expiatory processions in which entire cities took part. Today, there is no lack of collective manifestations of piety. But however much the church urges us to penance, what role does it play in such manifestations? What role does it play in our private life? Small, tiny even, it seems indisputable that also on this point, Fatima gives us precious lessons. We'll get back to the point. So ends that article and he continues it in a later article, which we'll get to eventually. A wonderful article. A great Catholic scholar and a very holy man, Professor Plinio Correa de Oliveira, may he rest in peace. I'd like to once again conclude by mentioning Helping Autism Through Learning and Outreach, located at halo-soma.org. That's halo-soma.org. And please check out episode 277 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast if you haven't already done so. I interviewed my sister and one of my nieces about RPM, otherwise known as Rapid Prompting Method, which is a system for communication for those who've been afflicted with non-speaking autism. If you know non-speakers, your extended family, amongst your friends, please share that website with them. This is a game changer for so many families, for thousands of families, and we pray that thousands more will be introduced to RPM because communication is a human right. Let us pray now for help and for healing for non-speakers and their families. The Memorari to St. Joseph. Remember, O most chaste spouse of the Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto you, my spiritual father, and beg your protection. O foster father of the Redeemer, despise not my petitions, but in your goodness hear and answer me. Amen. The three Hail Marys to honor the immaculate purity of Our Lady of Fatima. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostri. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostri. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostri. Amen. And a gloria patri for a special intention. 
Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, Sicuderat in Principio et Nunc et Semper et in Secula Seculorum. Amen. Prayer for Healing Almighty and eternal God, healer of those who trust in you, through the intercession of St. Raphael the Archangel, hear my prayer for non-speakers and their families. In your tender mercy, restore them to spiritual and bodily health, that they may give you thanks, praise your name, and proclaim your wondrous love to all. I ask this through Christ your Son, our Lord. Amen. Sweetheart of Mary, be the salvation of Russia, Spain, Portugal, Europe, the United States of America, Canada, and the whole world. Virgo potens, ora pronobis. Sancti Osef, terra daimonem, ora pronobis. Sancta Raphael Archangeli, ora pronobis. In nomine Patris et Fili, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Thank you very kindly, my friends, for listening to episode 367 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. In your charity, please share Our Lady's podcast with everyone you know. Follow us on Twitter. The handle is at Fatima Podcast. And most importantly, please pray for the eternal salvation of all bishops. Goodbye and God love you.